Now, not me. Is it working now? Hey, uh, I might have not worn the, the white coat, but I didn't comb my hair, so at least part of the battle, right? Notice? So, hey. All right, well, I want to start out with a verse because uh, Rissa brought some points up, and I thought I, I'm led to go to Revelation. So there's a verse that we were talking about. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something from Revelation. This is um, Revelation chapter 4, verses uh, 9 through 11. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Because of your will, they existed and were created. I thought that was appropriate. And then there was another verse I want to read before we start. And this is when we prayed this morning. Um, and it's about God again. This is in Psalm chapter 145, verses uh, 17 through uh, 21. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all, but all the wicked he will destroy. Well, before I start, I guess I'll pray again. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you just uh, your presence upon this uh, this fellowship today, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that uh, that we will just uh, have a desire to continue to know you and to continue to uh, pray, meditate upon your word. And we just thank you, Lord, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like this is deja vu. I was just here a second ago. All right, well, uh, so I feel kind of bad for some of you people have already heard the message. Good news is I'm by kind of ad lib. I go off of my spirit. So my first message might be different than this message. <laughs> so here we go. Let's start. Today, the objective is to strengthen your faith in the Word of God because I believe that we can trust the Word with our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Now, you notice that, that accent's from Georgia, but I apologize for that. So we're going to worship the Lord. Now, before we start, I want to help you out with some good questions. I want to start you out by, I've done this before, and it's the funniest thing. I don't always get it. How many people want to be a genius? Raise your hand. How many people want to be geniuses? Okay, a few of you. Good. All right. The best way, the best way is to have good questions. So let me give you some powerful questions to help the cause because you're going to find out when you evangelize, when you witness, when you talk to people, sometimes the best thing you can do is ask a question. First question, what do you mean by evolution? What do you mean by atheism? Before you get into a discussion with someone, you better find out where they're coming from. Because people define words not always the way you would expect. So before I get into a debate with anybody, I want to know where they're coming from. Nowadays, everybody says they're a Christian. My response is, okay, well, that's great. Praise the Lord. What do you mean by Christian? I want to be sure we're on the same page. So that's a great question because it establishes where this person's coming from. Second question, how do you know what you are saying is true? Well, that gets into, theolo into theological questions. How do you know what you're saying is true? Well, my pastor said it. Okay, how do you know what you're saying is true? You're going to find out a lot of people believe stuff, but when you really push, all right, well, like, uh, you know, so you believe that the whole universe happened by random chance. Okay, that's fine, but how do you know that's true? Third question, what if you're wrong? Are you willing to deal with the consequences? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What if you are wrong? See, people, saints, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, beliefs have consequences. What you believe is going to determine the way you live your life, and it's going to really have an impact. So these are questions that are important, and this is what we're going to address. So let's, uh, let's begin. So we're going to establish and defend a biblical worldview. 
I hold the Bible to be the Word of God. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? See, I believe personally, if you believe that verse, nothing else in the Bible is difficult to believe. All right? If you can believe that God created the universe out of nothing, that's what he says, ex nihilo, out of nothing, then would you have a problem that God can create a fish to swallow someone? Or you can believe in a resurrection or a virgin birth? All right? It really goes back to that question, how big is your God? You know, you know what I'm talking about? The bigger your God, the less the problems. The smaller your God, the more we concern about and we, 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 we uh, have troubles. So that's important. So now you all know how to be a genius just to ask questions. You can sit to let the other person. If you have a fault position, if you have a faulty position and you continue to ask questions, eventually that person is going to put his foot in his mouth. It's inevitable. All right, so beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before we can start, we have to establish two points. What, are, what our presuppositions are in the worldviews. These are important concepts. We all have a worldview. You're going to find out. We all have a worldview. So a presupposition is something that we assume to be true. Right from the get-go, we assume it to be true. It's a belief. Like, I believe that God exists. Now, that's a presupposition. Now, do I have evidences? I believe the creation is a powerful evidence for a creator, okay? I mean, it says, it, it says uh, in Romans 1, it says, since the creation of, his, of the world, since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities, divine attributes, and God have, have clearly been seen by what has been made. So they are without excuse. And it goes on further, it says that people suppress the truth in Romans 1, and to suppress something, you know it is true, but you hold it down. We don't want it to be the case. See, this world, if God exists, he makes the rules. Okay? And let's face the facts. We're a stubborn people, and we don't like that. We want to make our own rules. Do you agree? And it's really, it really comes down to these two belief systems. Either God makes the rules, or man determines truth. It's really comes God or man. So a worldview is a belief. And that, that worldview is going to help you to realize how you look at all kinds of topics. Okay? Whether creation or evolution or, you know, why am I here? I mean, these are questions we all ask. And as we get older, we start realizing how important that question really is. See, if, if uh, evolution is true and there is no God, then um, you're part of the problem. The more of you can get rid of, the better off we are. See, evolution, man's the problem. You know, we need to get rid of him. You know? Uh, I give, it's crazy. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, uh, for those who remember him, he said we need to get rid of 300,000 people a day. Uh, Ted Turner says we have to reduce the population to half a billion. Well, my response to Ted is, Ted, you go first. <laughs> See, this is important. One views have, this is important stuff. So let's continue. So these are questions we're all going to ask. Biblical worldview is God determines truth. That's what it really comes down to. Do we trust God and his word? The secular worldview is really matter is all there is. We're just a bunch of matter that just happened to evolve through the slime, to goo, to the zoo, to you, you know? You know, it's like a, t- a textbook. You share a common heritage with an earthworm. What a sad documentary. You share a common heritage with an earthworm? You can see why there's so much problems in the school system. That's not going to give me a lot of confidence. All right, so when the Bible does not prove God's existence, it starts right from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by, by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says the word of God is truthful. Okay, so again, I established this early on. We have to establish proper definitions. We want to be sure we're on the same wavelength. So that's why when you get into an apologetic situation or you're talking to someone, family members, be sure that you both um, have the same terms and the same meanings. Now, obviously, we need to do it in meekness. So let's look at a verse, First Peter 3.15. So sanctify them by your word. It says sanctify, 
Now let's just go to the verse instead of trying to memorize it. Sanctify something. First Peter three fifteen. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but yet with gentleness and reverence. So we want to do it in meekness. We want to be sure that we're, and again, that's important. We have to try to stay humble. Matter of fact, that's the key. I mean, the Bible makes it clear. The humble, you know, he, what does he do to the proud? He lifts, he lifts up the humble, but he exalts the humble, okay? So let's continue. So we want to be clear. Now, again, if we go back to the worldviews, the biblical worldview has these topics, the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. Matter of fact, I would say the resurrection is the most important event in history for a Christian. Okay? If the resurrection didn't happen, then your faith is in vain. And so let's marry and just drink. So, and that's the key point about the Christian worldview, by the way. Realize this something. Every other worldview... The Christian worldview is the only historical worldview. It's based on history. Every other worldview is, is beliefs. It's emotions. See, I believe personally, and I think most of you do too, I come to the belief system through faith and reason. So I have both. So when someone says to me, Rich, you have faith, I have reason. I said, no, that's not true at all. I have both. That's a fallacy. Matter of fact, in the Christian worldview, it's inevitable you'll have both. We have faith and what Christ is going to do for us, but we also have reason. We use our minds. So I believe this world only makes sense if we use our mind. The universe is orderly. Why? Because God is, in, God, God is a God of order. We can study the universe. We can use logic. All right? These are things that you can't, you can't put logic on the table, but we use logic on a day-to-day basis. Again, Genesis 1-3, I believe, is important because it's, thought, it's a foundation, but it also gets into some of the most important initial doctrines, like marriage. Genesis 2-7, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, they become one. All right? Clothing. Why do we have clothing? Because of sin. Why, why do we need a redeemer? Because we blew it. Notice, notice what I said, We. So, uh, it's, again, it's worldview. We have to, also with doctrines, how do we interpret the th- first three chapters? I believe it's important. I mean, if God says something, that settles it for me. Now, here's a question. Can God do anything he wants to do? Of course he can. But if he tells us what he did and how he did it, are we going to question that? That's the point. Yes, I agree, God can do anything he wants to do. But he tells us what he does. So let's let's, let's uh, Let's look at this further. And now my question to you is, does the Bible give us information of how long the days are and how and when God created? Does the Bible give us this information through the Scriptures? What should the Christians believe about creation? Does the age of the earth really matter? I believe it does because I believe it, it, it questions God's truthfulness and his, his authority and his power. And I believe that once we, and again, let me clarify something here. You don't have to believe in a six-day creation to be saved. I'm not arguing that point. I'm just saying that it's inconsistent if you don't believe it because he says it. Now, let's see why. Before we do, I'm going to talk about one more topic, and we'll give some reasons why. Uh, Hermeneutics, fancy word, all it means is how do you approach the Scriptures? How do you interpret Scriptures? Obviously, the first thing is context. You should always look at the context. Second of all, you should be looking at what's the author's intent, not your intent. What is the author trying to tell us? Okay? And I believe Scripture interprets Scripture, by the way. And then be sensitive to the type of literature. Is it historical? Is it poetry? Is it, uh, is it um, allegory, like some parts of the book of Revelation? What type of literature are you looking at? I believe Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 50 is historical. And I can make a case for that. Now, I'm going to give nine reasons why I believe the day is a 24-hour day. Okay? So let's start off. One, God explicitly chose the word yom to describe the length of time. Now, why is that important? Because there's other words in Hebrew. If God wanted to use a longer period of time, he could have used the word olam, which is another Hebrew word. So God specifically used the word yom 
And if you wanted to use a, a word to describe a long period of time, there are other, like I said, there are other Hebrew words. Two, we have the first day, the second day, the third day. And this occurs uh, quite a few times in the Old Testament, over 400 times. Every other time you see the first day, the second day, the third day, and every other place in the Old Testament, it's a literal day. So why question Genesis 1? Three, we also have evening and morning were the first day. Evening and morning were the second day. Now, this concept, evening and morning, only occurs 38 other times. But in every other reference in the Testaments, it refers to a literal day. So why do we question Genesis chapter 1? Four, Genesis 1.14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Right there, he's already delineating between a day and a year. So he's actually just giving more information. This is a day. This is a year. No one would question those years of 364 days or 365-day years. No one's going to question that. Now, this is my favorite argument because this is God talking now. This is one of the Ten Commandments. So this is very powerful because he's the one that's doing the talking now, and he doesn't stutter. Sixth day you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who was within the gates. For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And isn't it interesting that a seven-day week has no astronomical significance? Okay? But our bodies need that day of rest. Studies have shown that we need to take a day off. We need to relax and meditate on the Word and, and watch a football game. We need to relax and just get rested. All right? So we need that. It, it actually is the way our bodies operate. If we try to continue, that's why I always get a kick out of people. Oh, Rich, I go to the gym every day. I think the guy's a little nuts because you need a day of rest. Your body actually recuperates, and you're actually going to do yourself a favor. You know, you think you can overdo it. You, you can't. It's interesting. And in Exodus 31, it says, Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. And it's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Evidence number six, the genealogies. Now, genealogies serve more than one purpose. Obviously, what's the most important aspect of the genealogies? It talks about where the, the Savior, the Messiah, through the line of David, through Judah, and so that's important because it establishes that who Jesus was going to come through, and that's important to Messiah. So that's one of the more powerful reasons genealogy is important. Obviously, the Jews thought it was very important. Interestingly enough, when the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, they lost all of the records for genealogies. The only tribe you really can keep track of is the tribe of Levi. So Christ had to come before A.D. 70, which is interesting. So basically, but also genealogies put a time frame of how long the world has been around. And it's it really difficult to get around this. I mean, you have the days. He begot. Abram was uh, so many years old. He begot this. Then he died. He lived this many years. And so to get around that, you've got to use a bunch of mental gymnastics. The genealogy is very good evidence for a young earth. And I like this right here because we know Today, to, from here to Jesus, it's only 2,000 years. No one's going to question that, right? And no one's going to question Abraham and Jesus about 2,000 years. No one questions those two dates. You realize that? Well, they start questioning is Abraham to Adam. But in Jude, verse 7, it says, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Well, if we go back to the genealogies, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. So you, to get millions of years in between Adam and, 
Abraham just doesn't make sense with the genealogies. And again, this goes back to, are we going to trust God's word or man? I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, again, like I said, I don't have a problem. If someone wants to hold to an old earth, you're fine. That's your choice. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you're being inconsistent. And interestingly enough, for every old earth argument someone can come up with, you can easily come up with 10 arguments for a young earth. For example, population growth. Do you realize that the average growth population right now is, it's an exponential curve. It's 2%. That's the growth rate, 2%. Do you realize that we take that growth rate of 2% with, with all the wars and everything else and we reduce it to half a percent? We could still get all the people, 8, 7 billion, from 8 people in Noah's Ark 4,000 years ago. Do you realize that? I could take half a percent growth rate and still get 7 billion people. Now, I'm a mathematician. I can do the calculation for you, but I'm not going to. The point is, I'm giving you, this is an interesting fact. Even with all the wars and famine, we still have no trouble getting that many people. You know, so there's, another good argument is short period comets. But I like, my favorite argument is the magnetic field. See, the magnetic field is decaying overall. And basically, if we only go back 20,000 years, the magnetic field strength would be so strong, this would be like a neutron star. Life wouldn't be possible. So the magnetic field is a, limits. It puts limits on how old this universe on Earth could be. So, again, we'll get into this more Wednesday. I didn't want to get technical on that stuff. That's a Wednesday night study where we'll cover it. Now, evidence seven. First of all, we got the Ten Commandments. Now we go to evidence seven. Who's talking here? Jesus. And what does he say? But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Right? This is no difference than Paul since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities have clearly been seen. Same thing. From the beginning of creation, God made him male and female. Not billions of years later. Eight. We have a creation that was perfect. And we'll touch upon that in a moment. And people, only ask a question. Sin. Sin is an intruder, isn't it? Sin is not part of the natural world. Sin is something that was brought into the world because of the fall in the, in the Garden of Eden. And, and, and that's a critical point. So sin is an intruder. The evolutionary model, sin is, brings life. In our mind, sin is, sin's a curse. And so you know what I can say to everybody in this room? You can say, Rich, I have nothing in common with you. Yeah, you do. Everyone in this room has something in common with me, and you all have something in common with each other. You know what it is? You're all sinners. We're all guilty. How do you like that? We all have one thing in common. So next time you get in a discussion with someone that has a different viewpoint, you know what? There's one thing you and I have in common. We've broken God's law. We're all guilty. And uh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? So, you know, skin color, it's, it's irrelevant. You realize that? God in Acts 17 made one, one, one people. And therefore, it's all one. Matter of fact, this is such an important verse I want to go there because I always get a kick out of that. You know, people talk about you know, and by the way, do you realize racism is an evolutionary thing? Racism, you don't get racism in the Bible. In Acts 17, this is what it says. This is important. This is Acts 17, verse uh, 24. And this is Paul. We're talking Mars Hill. He says, the God who made the world, again, the God who made the world, and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man, one man, Adam, that means we're all descendants of Adam, by the way, isn't it interesting? And every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we all also are his children. Romans 5.12. Let's go there. Again, this goes back to sin is an intruder, people. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
another verse in Romans. This is Romans 8, and it's Romans 8.21, because I think it's relevant. Uh, it basically says this. Well, 8.20. For the creation that we live in was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Talking about the fact that this world is in decay, the world is falling apart. If we look at an evolutionary viewpoint, this world eventually is going to come to an end. All the stars are going to lose their energy and everything is going to just fall apart. Again, a very gruesome picture as opposed to a position of God. God's going to create a new heavens and an earth where righteousness dwells. So opposites. And evidence 9 is Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Interesting verse. Look at what it says. And God saw everything that had been made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I went to a Vines dictionary, and I looked at the Hebrew word for good. It's the word tov. And it means best, perfect. Let me ask you a question. If God says something is good, what does that mean to you? If God says this is good, what does that mean? I mean, think about that for a moment. We're looking who's talking. God said it was good. But then he goes on and he says it's very good. In the Gospels, Jesus is approached by the rich young ruler. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Only Father in heaven is good. You're talking about this concept. We, we have to look at a term. Jesus, when God says something is good, that's enough for me. But then if he says it's very good, because the pinnacle of his creation, man. Okay, so how do you get a world billions of years old with death, decay, fossil racket, all this stuff, when God says it's very good? It doesn't seem to make sense. You know what I mean? Again, it, it, it really it, it impinges upon God's character. And ironically, if you look at the first three chapters of Genesis, you know, then you go to Revelation chapter 21, 20 to 22, you get a bookends. The world was made perfect, and then it's going to get restored. And that's my question anyways. Here's my question. Anybody here? I got a question for you. I don't care what position you hold to. I don't care what you believe. Can God create a perfect world? Okay. If he wants to create a world without sin, can he do it? Okay. I just want to be sure we're on the same page. Yeah. So you believe he's going to restore the world? Do you believe that? Do you believe you're going to have a body that's not going to decay anymore? You're not going to uh, you know, lose your teeth, your hair, and everything else? You're going to have a situation? Do you believe that? We're going to, we're going to get restored to a point where we're all vibrant and healthy? So, again, conclusions. A literal historical interpretation of Genesis is essential for understanding the gospel. I agree with that. It, it's, it's, it impinges upon the foundation. Two, the first three chapters are essential to understand the character of God? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's a perfect God. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. And they laid a foundation. They really do. I mean, when we get the word marriage, how do you get marriage? You get it from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The man... Shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. The word of God. It's interesting. When I gave the evidence eight about uh, the idea of the sin-cursed sin world, you know what I mean? Well, let me tell you something. You know Noah's ark it, it saved all the animals? I can tell you for a fact there was no poodle on that ark. Because that's a mutant. That's after the curse. That's a curse. See, the poodle is a mutant animal that came after the curse. And a chihuahua was worse. <laughs> now, I am saddened to say, I truly am saddened to say that I have a chihuahua. Now, why is that? That's well, because my wife saw this dog was lost, and she had to take it in, of course. It's a stray dog. So if you want to get a dog, you know where I live, just have a stray poodle, and she'll take it in, or a chihuahua. So I got a chihuahua. But I don't feel bad because I got a German shepherd. So there you go. So it kind of balances even though the chihuahua rules the day. I always get a kick out of that. What is this? What's wrong with this dog? This chihuahua is the king. And you got this German shepherd that could eat him for, ch for chow, and I don't get it. 
See, there's something wrong with that equation. John John MacArthur, anybody familiar with this guy? He writes some good stuff. He said, so in an important sense, everything Scripture says about our salvation through Jesus Christ hinges on a literal truth of what Genesis 1-3 teaches about Adam's creation and the fall. Questions about scientific evidences, which I will discuss Wednesday night. So I will get into this, and then I will allow questions. You can ask any question you want. I don't know. It doesn't make a difference. The point is I think that it's irrelevant. Uh, does, have scientists proven the Earth is billions of years old? Or, you know, radiometric dating methods. What are, how accurate are the methods? Let me, ask, let me make a point. The problem right from the get-go is the word science. Do I have the same facts as an evolutionist? Yes. Do I have the same fossils? Yes. Do I have the same earth? Yes. That's not the issue. It's how we interpret those facts, people. This is important. There's two types of science. One type of science is current science where you put a man on the moon. Technological advances. It's like the telephone, the radio, you know, your iPhones, which give you radiation. These are technological advancements, all right, that help us to live in this world. And it's because we can test, we can observe, we can repeat. One-time events, like the beginning of the creation, uh, the origin of one type of animal into another type of animal, which has never happened, by the way. You know, I don't know about you people, but I've seen a lot of dogs and I've seen a lot of cats because we've had 17 dogs and cats over my marriage. I've never seen one of those dogs turn into a cat or vice versa. That would be, that would be, a, cat, that would be a dad or a cog. They don't exist. Only except in some figment of someone's imagination. We, what we see is one animal producing after, this, after its kind. And we get as far as a mutant animal like a chihuahua. You know? But it's still a dog kind, all right? I'll give it. It's just a mutant. A mutant dog. So this is the point. There's two types of science. And once you understand that concept, then you realize a lot of what we see about, well, this is your belief. It's based upon an interpretation. Well, Rich, you do the same thing. Yes, I do. But there's a difference. I use God's word. And I'll say this too, by the way. Here's a question for everyone in the room. The scientific laws that we know about, they all comport with the creation model. All the scientific laws, what law of science that, I, that you know of actually makes, uh, gives strength to the evolution model? None of them. All the laws of science support the creation model. And again, we got it. This is what I brought up that early on, those questions, everyone. What do you mean by science? Okay, science can't prove the age of the earth. Science can make assumptions and it can interpret different events, but by, by itself it can't prove the earth is billions of years old. You assume this and you assume this and you make an assumption. That's just all you're doing. The difference between is that I'm taking God's word as the final authority. And let me make a point. Give me an example. I mean, we're not getting into why the Bible is true. I could give all kinds of good arguments on that because it's been a subject of mine for the last few years. But I'll give one example. Manuscripts. Everybody know what a manuscript is? A manuscript is pre-Gutenberg press, so before the printing press. So that's all we had. So we have manuscripts of books of antiquity. Okay? Well, this is the interesting thing. We take the average book of, in- of antiquity, like Homer or Iliad, or we take uh, Pliny the Younger or Josephus, if we take those averages, this, the height of the manuscripts would be four feet high, but right there. Okay? If we take the New and Old Testament, you know how that manuscripts would go to? Anybody have an idea? Height-wise? How about 2.5 miles? It's a lot of support there. I'll tell you what, I don't think people underestimate the power. No, that helps us because, well, Rich, the, the Bible's been tainted. The Bible's been changed. Now, we have so many manuscripts that we will... We can use those manuscripts to get to this is the word and this is what was meant to be written. And it actually goes back to God's character again. Can you trust God? Is God capable of putting together a book that can be trusted? He says all scripture is inspired. He says no scriptures of a private interpretation, but men led by God. I always bring up this question. When I write a one-page article, who wrote that paper, me or my pen? I did. The pen is an instrument. God used men to put his word. That's all. Is that possible with God? It really goes back to the question I ask all the time. How big is your God? 
the bigger our God, you know, the less the problems, the smaller our God, the more problems. Now, these are some of the uh, counterpoints. These, this is um, Hugh Ross. And uh, I'm not questioning whether he's a Christian. That's not the issue. I'm questioning his argument since overwhelming scientific evidence. Wait a minute. What do you mean overwhelming? I always like those words. That's, that's a fallacy. What evidence? My wife and I have been going down, she more than me, to UNLV campus for the last 20 years. Where's the evidence? I'm waiting for it. It's, I always get a kick out of that stuff. What evidence? Come up to talk to me about it. Uh, shows that plants and animals died before Adam. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So what is going on here? I'm not questioning the person's integrity. I'm not questioning the person's a Christianity. But he's questioning the Bible. So again, it goes back to, do we need a 21st century guru to tell us what the Word says? I think not. Here's another one. This is Biologus. This is another organization. This is uh, Stephen Collins. And He's gone even further. He says many independent measurements, okay, which ones are they, have established the earth is billions of years old. Well, again, what are those arguments? And interestingly enough, this particular organization, they don't even believe in a little Adam and Eve. So what has happened? Okay, you've gone from I don't believe the earth is young to now I don't believe in a little Adam and Eve. What's the next step? Exactly. Where's it going to lead? Once you start questioning one thing, why not question something else? I mean, have you seen a resurrection? Anybody in here? Okay, so the resurrection, that's not scientific. I believe the evidence is overwhelming for the Christian worldview. And the more I study the word and the more I study the world religions and all that other stuff, it all fits. Matter of fact, I've come to the conclusion that only Christianity is a belief system. You can use both your mind and it's a, it's a rational, and it also has an emotional appeal. I believe other belief systems, it's emotional. You get into a discussion, eventually it's going to get to, well, you know, I read this book, and I, you know, I'm my, whatever. The point is you're going to believe it. But when you really go deep to study it and question it, then you come up with issues. Again, is our God perfect? Then it's totally inerrant, and I believe that. And for those who have questions on that, I can recommend some very helpful resources for those who want to dig deep into some of these topics. And again, God did not write the Bible to be understood by a small percentage of elite experts. God made it, so, he made it simple. You know, where's the wise man? Where's the debate of this age? God has made man, the foolish things of man, 1 Corinthians, so let me trying to guess it. Let me just go there because I think it's relevant. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, for the word of the cross this is important because it tells us what's going on because the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to him. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debate of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I believe that God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe that when God says, um, he's the, he basically, um, in, in Peter, it talks about he's long-suffering toward us that none should perish, but all come to repentance. For God so loved the world that whoever would believe shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God wants all people to come to the world. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of Revelation and you think that God, man, he, God uses us to give out the word. He uses us as an instrument. But at the end, it's going to be an everlasting gospel still going to be preached. By who? An angel. When you, next time you read through the book of Revelation, look for that. An angel will preach the everlasting gospel. So God's going to get He's going to accomplish his goals, but he uses us. He uses us as a body. And Second Peter, how much time do I have? Okay. This is one of these challenges. Second Peter says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Okay, well, first of all, this is in Second Peter. It's not talking about the creation. 
It's talking about God's long-suffering. He's long-suffering that none should perish, but all come to repentance. And God is outside time. He created time. It's an interesting concept. So before time, there was a time where time did not exist. I can't fathom that. All right? And it goes back to Deuteronomy 29, where the secret things belong to God, but, the, but he's revealed to men enough for us to, to make it through this crazy world. So it's just amazing. He gives us enough of his enough. See, God put exactly what we need in the Bible. There's nothing else we need. Oh, rich is more material. We need, we need this more knowledge, Gnosticism, you know. We need secret knowledge. No, we have what we need in the Bible. It's more than enough. Matter of fact, I would say this. The Bible is sufficient, and if you just to spend 15 minutes a day, you could read the Bible easily in a year, maybe less. The fact of the matter is we don't need any, any more hidden knowledge, all right? God has revealed it through his word. Wouldn't you agree with that? And it's quite powerful, too. And what does it say? It's um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It talks about the word of God. Got to go there. I don't like to. Oh, here we go. Um, this is Hebrews 4.11. I got to give evangelism. I know this is about scientific evidence, but I can't help it. 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. That's exciting in itself. So that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. I always think about the two-edged sword. I always thought about it. I, I, I don't know. I've looked at context. I think two-edged sword. He convicts and he converts. He convicts us with the word and he converts us to come to know the truth and to, uh, and to follow the Lord. Hey, Everyone in this room, you have a choice, by the way. You can either follow the demonic influence of the world or you can follow Christ. You realize that? No one's putting a gun to your head. Isn't that nice? You have the freedom to make that decision, every one of you. You have a choice. No one, again. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Everyone in this room, including myself, you're going to serve someone. It's either going to be God or the world. Simple as that. There's no, you know, well, there's not a third option. No, there isn't a third option. And again, the Bible makes it crystal clear that everybody believes in God. Oh, Rich, I'm an atheist. Wait a second. The Bible says in Romans 1, you suppress the truth. You know what suppress means? It means you hold it down. So it's like it reminds me of meeting this guy, uh, Thomas Nagel. He's an evolutionary philosopher. He actually says in a book, I don't want there to be a God. I don't, want, I don't want to live in that world. I like that. He's honest. But that's the typical perspective. It's not that they don't believe in God. I don't want God to exist because that means what? That means I'm accountable to his word. And that's scary. You know? I don't know who it was, but uh, either position is frightening. If the God exists, there's a certain frighten, there's a certain uh, fear there because the fear of the Lord be- is beginning about wisdom. But if God doesn't exist, that's still, that's still frightening. No matter how you slice the pie, uh, the thoughts are... Every one of us, some of us more than others because we're getting closer, you know, that time thing, you start thinking about these things. You know, when you're 20 years old, you don't really think about this stuff that much. You know, I'm invulnerable. I'm immortal, you know. And when you get to my age, you start thinking about it more often, you know, unfortunately, because now you start getting pains and aches. You know why? That's a curse. So that's what the curse brought. It brought pain and aches and all kinds of problems. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you more than others. Again, it goes back to context, context, context. And the style of writing. Second, Second Peter is a, is a simile. He's making a metaphor. It's not actual a thousand years is equal to a day, and a day is equal to a thousand years. He says, as. And if you go to Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, it says a thousand years is as a watch in the night. Okay? Again, if we stop believing that these are literal days and we don't really hold to that, first question is, what about the Noah's flood? The two authors I gave you, Hugh Ross and Biologos, they don't, they don't hold to a global flood. They can't. It affects their position because they already accept the fact that Earth is billions of years old, so there's no global flood. It was a local flood or no flood. It's inevitable. So the question is, if you start questioning God's word, 
then why would you believe in the resurrection? Have you ever seen a resurrection? Anybody ever see a resurrection? Raise your hand. So why would you believe in that? That's a miraculous event. So where, where do you draw the line? Hey, the human body is so amazing that he created an ear, not just so we could hear God's word. He created two ears, by the way. And he has these three bones that basically utilize to amplify the sound. Then he's got the eardrum. Then he's got this, the cochlea, which is a little fluid. And we go through there, and you got the organ of corti and all these amazing things. So you can hear what I'm saying, or I can hear what you're saying. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but what's coming out of my mouth? Just air. And somehow that sound is hitting your ears, and you're, and you're processing, and you're saying, this guy's from Georgia because of his accent. No, it's amazing. And that's just one of many of God's amazing features, the fact we can hear and we can see. I, honestly, when I study the human body, it's amazing. It reminds me of one person said, it's amazing what an unbeliever has to believe to remain an unbeliever. It's amazing. I agree. John 3.12 says it all. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 5.46-47 says, if you haven't believed in Moses, he wrote about me, you're not going to believe me. He actually, I'm paraphrasing. He says, if, if, if you believed in Moses, you'd believe in me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe in Moses, you're not going to believe me. Lazarus. Basically, the guy, Lazarus, in Abraham's bosom. Remember that in Luke? Abraham's bosom. Abraham, he's sitting there, and he's saying, tell my brothers. Well, if you're not going to believe, if they're not going to believe in Moses, they're not going to believe you if someone gets raises from the dead. It goes back to our own stubbornness. The Bible is going to be attacked, and it's under more attack now than ever. I've seen, you know, because of some of the stuff I studied. But you know what? It's still as relevant today as it was from the moment it was, was done. It still is relevant. It's not more relevant. It always reminds me, what if this world, what if this world, Jesus never was born, you know? What kind of world would he have? I believe that the power of the scripture, the power of the, of the gospel has, it's still transforming lives. And it's also making, it in, it's also making an amazing uh, effect. Hospitals, schools, all these things that, from a Christian perspective. And then they want to get rid of it doesn't make any sense. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I agree. His words are going to stay till the restoration of all things, that renewal. Kind of interesting. So for your homework assignment, read the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation. Now, there's a book out, especially if you people who have kids in college and going to college. It's called Understanding the Times by Jeff Myers. Understanding the Times by Jeff Myers. Highly recommended book because it prepares the student for college, big time. It's Summit Ministries, and uh, it's material that, that just helps us see the battle that we're in. Okay? See, the bottom line, truth exists. And whether we like it or not, and a matter of fact, we can't live in a world without truth. If you get into an accident, you're going to be quick to want to know what happened. You want to know the truth, especially if it could have impact your, your, uh, your livelihood. See, truth is really important. When you say, well, truth doesn't matter, you don't mean it. See, if someone comes out to me and says, and he's a carpenter, and I don't know what a two-by-four is, I don't want them working in my house because uh, that, that makes a difference. I mean, we don't realize how important truth is to us. We think it doesn't matter. But it really does. And, you know, your truth and my truth, it's the same truth. Two plus two is equal to four. All right? Period. If you don't like it, tough. And you want to be a mathematician, you can say, Rich, it can equal ten. Whatever. It can, but that's besides the point. You're changing your base. I'm getting, I should have brought that up. Anyways, the point is truth matters. Okay? So, now, who's going to train the next generation? Us, the church, or the school system? Because I'll tell you what, 70% of people that go to school system, they're losing their faith. They're not being strengthened in the Word of God. And, and this goes back to the historical nature of the Bible. And so that's why we have apologetics, defending the faith, and that's why I do what I do, because I believe that I believe the Bible can be supported quite well, and I believe that the evidence is all supported. I, I really believe that. I think that, um, you know, if we really stop paying attention to what we're looking, 
we're going to be surprised. When you start paying attention, when you're reading, you say, okay, is this a story? Is this, where's the evidence? Start questioning things. You'd be surprised how fast you realize, wait a second, this is a story. Where's the evidence? You know, it's one thing to believe something. Where's the evidence for that? Uh, who wants to close it? Joshua? Uh, thank you. Praise the Lord. I told you it'd be different. Lord, I guess, well, you want to pray? Close it up. All right. Well, we're very grateful for having you. Uh, Wednesday night, 6.30, right here. We'll be going into more of the, the details, the, the, the minutiae. I'm going to go into about 15 minutes, 20, and then we'll allow all the questions you want. So come prepared. Have your questions written down. Just just fire them away. Yeah, matter of fact, if you get questions and we don't get to them, just write them down. I'll just and I'll I'll do a I'll do a response. I did a seven week series recently, and that's all it was question and answer. So I have probably the question you ask has already been done. So I just there you go. All right. So uh, hopefully to see you Wednesday night six thirty. Let's close in some prayer, and you guys are dismissed. Sure. Father, we are grateful uh, for your word this morning. We thank you for for uh, bringing this this brother to challenge us in our thinking and how to support what we believe with with evidence and where to look and find that in your word. We we pray that you would uh, continue to strengthen our faith as we dive in deeper to understanding why we believe what we believe so that we can stand firm in your word and, and support it evidentially. So as we go out today, as we go back into our, our, our families, our workplaces, and our, our lives, we, we pray your Holy Spirit empowers us and encourages us with that word so that we can stand firm but also uh, speak on this with, with gentleness. Uh, we love you, Father. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Bye.